Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I am your host, SBJ, and with me today on today's show, I have Sean. Hey, how's it going? I have Justin. Hey there. And I have Alan. Alan, you all right? I think it's a little quiet today. All right, moving on. That's all right. He'll have enough to say during table talk. Oh, yeah. What a chatterbox. Uh, first time uh, you are listening to the Tuesday Night Podcast, uh, thank you. Welcome. This is a podcast about board games and everything that could possibly happen on your tabletop, whether that's board game or not board game related. We're going to have a kind of a simple show for you guys today. We are going to, uh, we always start off the show with what's called Table Talk, which is what we've been playing. Uh, spoiler, none of us have been playing anything recently, but we're all going to be playing something this weekend, so we're going to talk about that. Our middle segment will be focused on games that are like $10 or around that price point. Maybe you guys haven't played anything, and we think that the $10 price point is good enough that you guys can pick some games up. Maybe uh, we can sell you on something and make commission off of... No, we're not making we're not making any commission off anything, but just like $10 <laughs> cheap games that you can throw in your bag. And then uh, finally, we have some... Uh, we have a little bit of interaction satisfaction, but we'll probably end the show with uh, finding out more about each other by asking asking each other one question and try to dive deep into our personalities. So with that being said, let's jump right into some table talk. It's time for a table talk. And uh, Justin, you, uh, prior to the show, you said you were playing some stuff this weekend. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so actually, right after we're done recording this, I've got people coming over for like a horror night. Uh, we're playing Dark Moon. Betrayal at House on the Hill, and what was the third one? Oh, uh, Mysterium, which you guys talked about last week. I love Dark Moon. I've only played it once, but I played it with uh, Nikki and Donald and Chris, the Board with Life crew, and Chris's uh, fiance now wife, um, and we had a great time. Dark Moon, is that the game that debuted at this year's Gen Con? I don't know that it did. Maybe it did. I think it did. I think you're right. I know that's where Donald picked it up. Um such a cool game, though. It's like the th it's like the thing. People people compare it to BSG. They're saying it's like BSG, but I don't think it's like that at all. It was actually I mean, it's designed got a that way. BSG um, is in Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm. But isn't it more like Dead of Winter? I heard. No, no. It was actually designed as BSG Light, I think, or Turbo. Like the designer of it created it as like a BSG mod, and I want to say either that didn't get sold or they didn't pick it up. And eventually just got made into Dark Moon. I haven't played a lot of BSG, though, um, because I think the show is stupid. <laughs> no, just um, – but I like Dark Moon a lot. I think it's fast. I think it's uh, thematic. I think the graphic design is really cool and immersive. Um, and I just saw the thing for the first time ever, so I understood the board game more. The Dark Moon, Betrayal, and Mysterium. Yep. But uh, So Betrayal is actually the one I want to talk about. That's like one of the reasons I got into board gaming. I mean, that game has been around for forever. And it's just, it's a great game. I mean, you guys have both played it, right? Yeah. I've never played it. What? What? Could you give oh. us an elevator pitch in a minute or less? Sure. I can certainly try. 
So, Betrayal, you start off as a group of friends and you're trying to explore this haunted mansion. Halfway through it, one person in your group of friends betrays you and something crazy goes happen, like turns into a wolf man or starts trying to summon demons from like the cult. Um, and then it becomes that person versus the rest of the group. And there's like 50 different scenarios and they're all horror themed and they're all great. Now, is this the same game as Betrayal on the House on the Hill or Hill House? Betrayal? Yeah, that, yeah. People just call it Betrayal because that gotcha. title is long and ridiculous. Okay, cool. I was just looking at that game today. That's crazy. Um, you like flip over tiles or something, don't you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's three floors to the, the uh, mansion. So, as you're exploring the mansion, you create it. It's different every time, basically. Hmm. Sounds really cool. Now, would you say that this game is scary to play? I don't think it's scary, but they do have, I mean, like, especially like you guys were talking about ambiance last week. Like, I think that if you had the right ambiance, it would definitely set the tone for the game a lot better. Gotcha. Is it tense? Is it like Pandemic or uh, Forbidden Island? There's certain, there's certain games that can be very tense. Um, The biggest people, the biggest complaint people have with the game is that it's very lopsided because the mansion is different every time. You don't know what items people have. There's, you know, so much going on that it's more about the story than it is the actual game. The game is fun, don't get me wrong. It's just that there's definitely some lopsidedness sometimes. Like, there's this one um, where a person turns into a gelatinous cube, and every turn <laughs> every turn they, like, start filling out more and more of the mansion. I feel um, like I'm living that one right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sean, you are the gelatinous cube. <laughs> I'm just taking over more and more rooms in my house slowly. <laughs> But uh, so I played it once where the gelatinous cube started off in the basement and everybody else was upstairs. So they were able to get away from it before like it was able to do anything. Mm. But it was still but it's still like interesting to see the game play out. You know, like there there still could have been potential for them to win. So do you feel like it's more like an Arabian Nights type game or? Um... Yeah, you, you play it to be more social and just, you know, have a good time with it, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. You have to have. In my experience, you have to have buy-in from the whole table from the whole table to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's games where I'll just say like Relic Runners, where if one person's not into it, it's not that big of a deal because everyone's doing it for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Betrayal, you, at one point, you're gonna have one person on their own team against like two or four other people, depending on how many people are playing. So there's clearly two different teams, and if you get the if you get the person who hasn't bought in on their own team where they're the betrayer, like your story isn't going to go anywhere because clearly they didn't care at the beginning. Why would they care now? So it does suffer from that. Also, the person who becomes the betrayer has to read a certain set of rules. Mm, That's right. I remember you mentioning that before. Yeah. So if they, if they're not good at comprehending rules or not good at reading rules or, they could just flat out lie to you and tell you that the rules state this. Like you're not supposed to know what their rules are, what their what their objective is. I mean, most of the time when you're playing, the objective is clear. Uh, I played a game of betrayal where the the betrayer was actually the house itself, and their goal was to make the house collapse upon itself, so everyone had to get out the front door. Hmm. Uh, which was really cool. Or I think they could go out a window as well, but um. <laughs> It was really, really cool, and that was a very, very simple rule for that person to learn. It was just like every turn they would remove three tiles from the house, so it would be like the house is collapsing upon itself. Um, but there are some really crazy scenarios with very specific rules 
my least favorite thing to hear from a player during or after a game is, well, if I had known X, I would have done Y. Um, <laughs> and because more often than not, I'm introducing games to the group and uh, it can be really frustrating to say, hey, we're all learning. You know, we're going to get these. Mis- we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get the rules wrong. We're just trying to get a feel for it. And then, you know, turn three happens and it says, oh, actually, you know, action points work like this. Or you should have drawn a card at the end of your turn. And you get that person who's like, well, if I had known that, I would have done something different and I wouldn't be losing the game right now. Yeah. And it's like, well, hey, buddy, let's just uh, let's all be comfortable yeah, with uh, <laughs> not being the best at Ticket to Ride. <laughs> <laughs> Or whatever. <laughs> awesome. That sounds uh, sounds like you're going to have a fun night ahead of you, Justin. Yeah, I'm excited. How are you going to set the ambiance? How are you going to get buy-in? Uh, well, I've definitely got plenty of candles we're going to light around here. Hopefully that'll be enough to see the actual game. We'll see. Got no, I don't have any special lights or anything on. So. I've found that in, in the ongoing conversation about themes versus um, mechanics, one thing mechanics have are I don't need buy-in. If the game is fun to play or fun to do inherently – then there's nothing else required of the players. But for good theme games to work, you really have to say, okay, let's all pretend like we're hungry astronauts or whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's why Werewolf works so well when it does work well. Mm. Yeah, you don't – yeah, the the buy-in I feel like is minimal. People are jumping in and, and immediately they act like – you know, the villagers would act. They're just an angry mob, you know. <laughs> but I, I I mean, at the same time, though, like it also takes a person just to, you know, like let loose their re- perceived like perceptions of reality and just, you know, go with it. It's just like playing an mm-hmm. RPG, right? Like, yeah, it, it, you just need to let go and just accept what you're doing is different and just get involved in it. It's just a lot easier for me to convince a non-gamer to play a game if I say, hey, let's play poker it's going to be fun or whatever as opposed to saying like hey uh first off pretend you're a wizard and i promise the game will be fun once you get to that <laughs> mindset <laughs> that's fair sean you playing anything this weekend uh what am i gonna play this weekend i've got a ton of new games that i still haven't unwrapped from gen con what i really want to get in front of my group is the grizzled which we talked about a lot there um and then i want to break open my copy of xeno shift which is Another one of these co-op deck builders like the Marvel game, um, but this one's more difficult and you're sort of playing the roles. It's like Assault on Precinct 13 or something like that where aliens are just attacking you wave after wave after wave. And I liked it at Gen Con. I want to play it again because I feel like there's a tendency now with game designers to make games really hard, um, but the difficulty is not something you can strategize or build around. Um, now I haven't played Xenoshift enough to know if that's true, but sometimes I got the impression like, man, we were just going to be screwed no matter what we did. There was no version of us that could have played this perfectly and won, which to me doesn't, doesn't make it a difficult game. It just makes it, you know, uh, a relentless or, you know, random game. Yeah. I tried it at Gen Con too. And that was the first thing I thought, like, you know, it's kind of, it's deck building, but it's also tower defense at the same time. That's true. We couldn't do any, I mean, like we only played the one round. And we felt that there was nothing we could have done to prevent damage to the tower. Like it felt like no matter what we did, even if we played perfectly, there still would have been times when the guys would just gotten past us and started doing damage to the base. And maybe that's part of the selling point. Maybe that there's like a 10% chance of success at all and you're mitigating everything to try and, you know, action that 10%. But um, that's not really that's not really my style. The, uh, the thing I'm hoping to play this weekend, uh, I'm going to try to get Mysterium to the table. Just because uh, my playgroup came to me with Gen Con, and I know they all really liked Mysterium, but I just got my copy of 
pandemic legacy in. And I know that's been like the hot topic on the uh, board game subreddit and everywhere, yeah, Twitter everywhere. and everything. And everyone's doing reviews of it, and there are spoiler reviews and non-spoiler reviews. If you don't know what Pandemic Legacy is, um, it's like the sequel or like the second coming of Rick, Risk Legacy. And Risk Legacy was Risk, but with consequences that that carried on throughout every game. So uh, I mean, it, it was, a campaign. Yeah, it was a fifteen-game campaign. Yeah, 15. It could have ended earlier, but you want to play all 15 because every time you play those 15, you sticker up the board and do fun stuff with it. Right. So a legacy game means you're going to be like ripping up cards, writing on the board, uh, putting down stickers, uh, keeping track of who wins. And then the coolest part is like the box has hidden compartments. So if, you know, one player has lost like five times in a row, you're going to like open up this pack of new cards and it's going to add to the game. Or if, you know, one one player uh, won like six games in a row. That game is going to change towards your win slash loss condition. And Pandemic Legacy is just that, except Pandemic is a way better game than Risk is. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you're right, but I've just been playing Risk since I was a kid, so I don't even think about comparing it to other games. It's sort of like <laughs> saying, you know, Sushi goes better than chess. It's like, uh, I sure. <laughs> I really. Argument. I feel, um, though, that Risk Legacy actually did improve Risk in a lot of ways. Oh, I agree. Yeah, Risk Legacy is really awesome. It's the ideal way to play Risk, you guys would say? Yeah. 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 Uh, I would buy Risk Legacy again in a heartbeat if I had a consistent play group. Which is the biggest problem with it, is you need a good group that you can play it 15 times. I mean, right. that's time-consuming. We used to play Risk during debate, like in high school, because <laughs> debate class was like my lunch period class. And we didn't do anything in that class anyway. And so we'd get into these epic, long, long, long risk games and, you know, friendship breakers, secret, like, my group has a bad history with risk, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I want to get Pandemic Legacy to the table. It can be a four-player game. And I'm, like, teetering between just uh, me and my girlfriend just playing two characters and just having it be us. Mm. We're both super into board games, so I know it can't get ruined by that. But at the same time... Like you have a more open and a more uncontrollable, which could possibly be more fun of an experience with four different people. It's just I'm so worried about that buy-in from those two other people. Right. It's a co-op game, right? Right. Yeah. So everyone's working together to save the world, and just like Risk Legacy, there are I think there are 12 games because each game is no, there are 24 it's, games because there's two days in a month where uh, you're going to be doing. I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Where, I think that it's there's 12 months, so there's 12 games. But if you fail the first time in a month, you can play it a second time. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I tried not to look too much into the game because I don't want anything spoiled. But um, yeah, I heard that one of the spoilers is if you lose like five months in a row, something something opens up in the box. And that's the only way to open it up is by losing like five times in a row. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. sort of like a – it's not like a catch-up mechanic, but like for morale, it's like a catch-up mechanic. It's like, oh, well, we're at least getting something from losing all the time. <laughs> right. And Risk Legacy did a good job of like if you lost, you got I think one extra missile a game and the winner did not get that extra missile. So it kind of tried to balance mm-hmm. the overall war out. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to get that to the table and I kind of want to do it sooner than later since the hype is so like high right now. Exactly. And I don't want to miss on that. But they did a cool thing, at least uh, from a consumer standpoint, where they've made a red box and a blue box. And the only difference is the color of the box. Everything on the inside is the same. But it's it's meant for 
uh, people who buy two copies and go, oh, like the red box is my family copy and the blue box is for my gaming group. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, which is really cool. And it says season one on it. So I'm I'm assuming that there's going to be like a sequel or like a season two to it. Whereas like Risk Legacy was like a one time thing. Like you can play it again if you buy another box and it's going to be different. But I'm assuming that, that your campaign might be able to carry on because it says season one on the box. Is this the next big trend? Is this the follow up to micro games? Is legacy ising your game? I mean, from a from a publisher standpoint, it's a very easy way to get a person to buy your game more than once. Mm-hmm. But I feel like uh, with board game groups meeting more and more regularly, it's a good, it's an easy sell to your audience too, right? Saying, "Hey, you're going to get more out of this game than than you know hey. just a couple playthroughs." It's interesting because, you know, you get to make the game your own. Like, I, I haven't played Pandemic, obviously, but with Risk, you know, like, you get to name your cities and stuff, and it feels like it belongs more to you and your group, which is I know Donald huge. was trying to name the planet Pets.com in his Risk Legacy game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing I like about Risk Legacy from just as somebody who owns a lot of board games is I always have, like, that like at the edge of my seat, like, are they going to spill something on my game? Like, are they bending my cards? (laughs) Oh, like maybe I should, maybe I should buy sleeves for like the 120 cards in this box and risk legacy. Like that's part of the charm is like, these cards will be ripped up. These, this board will be written on. Like it's more of having a house party and like, yeah, your house is dirty in the morning, but like, you're not going to like that memory is there now. That was my favorite thing about this guy, Zach S., who runs a blog called D&D with Porn Stars. Um, and he talks about role-playing games. And he's like, in you know, my opinion, he's a pretty controversial figure for a lot of people. But to me, he's you know, one of the most creative guys in role-playing right now. But he marks up his role-playing books you know, to hell. He's, you know, a fine artist. And so he can, he's good at that shit, but like he will draw all over. He's like going through the monster manual and improving all the monsters, marking stuff out, putting in his own illustrations. And I finally started doing that where I said, you know, at the end of the day, like treating these books, like they're pristine, isn't helping me in my campaign at all, but actually, you know, crossing things out, putting in the stats I'm going to use, drawing in the maps, um, writing notes to myself on how I'm going to run the adventure is making the game more fun for my players at the table. Um, and so it was kind of an eye-opening moment for me. Like I should, I don't owe the books anything. The books owe me something. I should make these as easy to use as humanly possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of cool from like a board gaming standpoint that like these games are meant to be beat up and played and used. It's 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 a very hard disconnect because you're spending, you know, fifty sixty dollars on a game, and then if somebody bends one of your cards, you're just like. Oh, you like ruined the entire game, even though you could probably get one replacement card or you could, I mean, like in the long run, it doesn't matter. How many, uh, game, like how long will you play pandemic legacy? If you play the whole thing, how many hours is that? Uh, I think they said every like game is about 30 minutes. So if, if you're doing just 12, was that six hours, six hours for, I think I paid 50 bucks for it. That's not bad. Yeah. That's if I get to the end of the campaign, but like I'm I'm I haven't been this excited uh, for a board game since I played Mysterium at Gen Con. So, like, it's, it's been a while. So, hopefully, I can get that to the table this weekend. That's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on to our middle topic of the show. We're going to talk about cheap, like, $10, $15 games that uh, we would recommend or maybe that we won't recommend. 
something that you can throw in your bag uh, or just have you on all times or something that's a good uh, start to your game night. Didn't we, did we not want to ask Alan if he played any games? Or oh, yeah. Alan. Oh, Alan. Alan, you've been really quiet this week. What did uh, what'd you play? Really giving Nothing? us a silent treatment tonight, huh? I think he's mad at you, Sean. I'm, I'm curious what I did other than was two years late on a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things. All right. Well, if you ever have anything to say, Alan, just pipe in. So last week, I I played and recommended Sushi Go, which is I think you looked it up on Amazon, uh, Sean. It was ten ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So Sushi Go is like a must have drafting game. Uh, but do you guys have any like games that you would recommend that would be like a no brainer to pick up, especially for the price point? Farkle. Farkle. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys ever played Farkle? No. I heard that Dragon Farkle came out at Gen Con, but I don't. I didn't know what regular Farkle was. Farkle's this tiny dice game where you're sort of. I think it's like a push your luck. You're trying to get certain points and certain combinations. Like ones are worth a hundred points, fives are worth fifty points, three ones is worth a thousand, that kind of thing. Um, but it comes the way I've bought it is it comes in almost like um, you guys remember old film canisters, yeah, like that you'd put your film in from a. Nikon camera. Yeah. It comes in a little canister like that with like six dice or something. Um, but it is by far one of the easiest games to play in an actual bar, which is where I've played it the most. It's also been called 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, Cosmic Wimp Out, Greed, Hot Dice, Squelch, Zilch, Zonk, or Darsh. Um, so apparently it has no real name or it's got names as varied as, you know, the old <laughs> gods. But um, I don't know why I thought that one was great. It's, you know, it fits in your pocket. I throw in my backpack. I've literally found versions of Farkle in backpacks that I just have forgotten I was there. And then at the end of the day, they're dice too. So I always like that. Sweet. So yeah, that, that's like a must buy for people. It's not a super <laughs> sexy game, but in terms of like uh, non-gamers, um, getting buy-in from people, like when you're out and about, like I would never say like, let's play Farkle tonight. But if we were at a bar and it was in my backpack and I'm always carrying my like laptop around, it would be really easy to be like, oh, I've got I've got Farkle. We should play that. Okay, so then as a follow-up question, what would you consider a sexy game? What would I consider a sexy game? Uh probably Star <laughs> Realms. <laughs> Isn't that like a $15 game though? It is like a $15 game. Um I feel like it used to be 10. Maybe I'm crazy. Coup is uh yeah. 10 though, right? Yeah. I think it's like nine ninety nine yeah. on Amazon. That's a sexy game. Like the components are beautiful. They're shiny. It's got a reflective box. You can even look at yourself in it like a mirror. So that would definitely make it the sexy game in my opinion. Okay, so you can see right. yourself. Got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Justin, do you have any recommendations? Okay, so it's not a great game by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. But it's, <laughs> it, but it's short. It's short and fun. Uh, Flux. Oh, yeah. Flux. Uh, I have like a love-hate relationship with Flux. I, hear I, I mean, and there's so many versions now. Like, I just like the regular standard version of Flux. And, it, you know, it's just it's simple. Yeah, it can get crazy and out of control with all the rules, but it's small and easy to carry around with you. I played that in college before, like, you know, this board game renaissance we're in right now. This was like, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, and it was just one of those like you'd find Flux at like a head shop or something. It was like somebody had a copy of this. And we'd be like, where did you even get this? Board games are Clue and Monopoly, <laughs> not Flux. But it's been around for such a long time, you know? Yeah. 
Looney did a good job trying to do something different with card games. As I was Googling my research for this topic, um, since I cannot for the life of me think of $10 games off the top of my head, I came across Board With Life's uh, review of oh, No Thanks that no Donald thanks. did, which I think is one of the... Yeah, that's one of the funniest video reviews for a game I think I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, what were you going to say about yeah, No Thanks? Yeah, you like it? It has... Like, it is so easy to teach No Thanks, and it has, I think, a lot of strategy for how simple a game it is, in my opinion. Absolutely. No Thanks is probably one of the games I have taught the most as, like, we're going to start the night off with No Thanks, and everyone's just loved it, and everyone gets super competitive during it, and it's just a really funny game, like, to watch people look at how many No Thanks chips are on a card and be like, uh, uh, I'll just take it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great game. I think it's like $12. It was out of print at one point, but I think it should be pretty easy to find. And for our listeners, if you don't know what No Thanks is, it's, it's simply like a, like a press-your-luck betting game, um, and the rule book's like a single business card long. It's super easy. I've gotten a ton of mileage out of Uno. <laughs> <laughs> Uno's like that game you can leave in the dashboard of your car and it doesn't matter how beat up it is everyone knows how to play it and you can especially if you're drinking pass a lot of time with a $7 deck of Uno man oh I just thought I thought of another good one too Noir uh, by Level oh, 99 games by Level 99 yeah, yeah. Noir yeah I, really I don't know good. about it what, what yeah. is Noir it's a two player there might there's a whole bunch of different uh, games you can play with it but um there's 25 characters and you put them in a five by five grid and in the main variant, one person's like uh, the inspector and the other person's the killer and the killer is just trying to evade being caught long enough. And the inspector is obviously trying to find the killer. It's so a- you know who you are, but you don't know who the other person is and you start making guesses and, and moving the rows and columns around because you can only guess, I think on people who are next to adjacent <clears throat> to your character and so you're sort of moving everyone around a lot, trying to not be found out, but at the same time sure. find out who the other person is. It's I think it's okay, a must but that's for a sure. Two player. There are other versions that have. I mean, like you can play different types of games with it. So there, I know there's like a four player oh, okay. variant and things like that. L- Level ninety nine is pretty big on variants, which is not like my favorite thing in the world. But um, Brad does a great job with it over there at making the variants, you know, useful for like adding sure. players and things like that. Cool. Uh, I think the the defaults. I don't know if you guys like like Love Letter or Lost Legacy. I love Lost Legacy, and I mean I like Love Letter too. For some reason, <laughs> I prefer Lost Legacy. Yeah, I think I like that investigation yeah. round at the end. Yeah, I think that's that's that makes it a little more exciting than just going. Oh, all right, you won. All right, let's go again. I played it over at Alan's house for a couple hours this summer. Do you remember that, Alan? Hmm. Nothing. But yeah, both those games are great. Uh, I think we mentioned this last week or the week before, but uh, Guillotine, Guillotine is really good. Is that under $10? Uh, it's it's about $14, $15 on uh, Cool Stuff Inc. I've played that game a surprising amount this year. Yeah, it's really good. It's, uh, it's also really funny, and it's not as... This, it's more strategic than Flux. Well, anything is. <laughs> But uh, there's still a lot of like randomness and goofiness that happens. Like it's hard to plan your turn ahead because the line of people about the line of people getting their head chopped off always kind of moves around. Mm. 
it's a no-brainer for non-gamers too. Like thematically, everybody gets it. There's little buy-in. The mechanics are super easy, and it's over in like 15 minutes. Um, and since you have a hand of cards, you always have choices that you feel like even though you can't plan, you can at least make a meaningful choice every time. Absolutely. I love um, R by Seji Kanai that became Brave Rats. Um, little 10-card micro game, of course. Um, and it's sort of like uh, we're each playing a character, and then we flip it over, and the character has a power and ability, and the character with a higher power wins, but the abilities can affect that. And you play, I think it's like six or seven characters in a row, um, and then at the end, the person with a higher win-loss record amongst all those characters wins. Um, it's not genius. It's not you know, uh, genre breaking or anything, but it hugely inspired me in terms of micro games. I love that the original R comes in like a tiny envelope, which I think is cool. Whereas like Brave Rats comes in a tin. Uh, and I'm not a big tin fan for whatever reason, except for Sushi Go. I would love like just tossing a copy of Sushi Go in my backpack mm-hmm. and knowing it's going to be fine. But, but R is a, or Brave Rats, if that's what you can get, I think is definitely a, a great little two player game. Isn't R the original version? That was the Japanese game, right? Or the Japanese That's correct. Because mm-hmm. they're all sort of set in the same world. I know there's R, 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 and like Triple R, something like that. I'd love to get them all, but I, I haven't been able to. That's cool. Uh, I, a game I just thought of that is is really good, and it's one of the first games I got that I bought on my own when I was getting into board gaming is Zombie Dice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of like, It kind of has the Farkle appeal of just like it has the all the dice come in a cup that's sealed you can throw it in your bag it's actually like really good uh i've played it a lot waiting for dinner at restaurants like at like a buffalo wild wings or something (laughs) (laughs) oh i love buffalo wild wings and uh yeah uh it's way better than zombie dice but zombie dice is still good it's thursday i might go get some buffalo wild wings i'm gonna take you up on that too uh (laughs) 65 cent boneless wings (laughs) sorry i don't know what's wrong alan how do you feel about buffalo wild wings alan you don't eat meat right Are we sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings? Is that what's going on? Here? Not yet. I'm um, I'm hoping to draw sponsorship right. out of them. <laughs> We're already talking about your food. Why don't you just uh, send us some wings, baby? But yeah, Zombie Dice and Buffalo Wild Wings—they go great together. A Zombie Dice is also like a a nine ninety nine game. Super super easy to teach. Zombie Dice—it's like a two word way to get me to not buy a game. It's just like it's a zombie <laughs> game. It's a dice game. It's like all right, cool. I have immediately <laughs> removed myself from your customer base. There's there's other versions, right? Not just zombie dice. There's like alien yeah. dice. I feel like I've seen. I think alien dice is one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. If you don't like zombies, there's aliens, and I think like werewolves. I feel like zombie dice was ahead of the curve on zombies. Though. I think you're right. I think zombie dice has been around for a long, long time. It's one of the yeah. original dice like, games. Head of the curve, zombie dice. Uh, cool. Well, hopefully that gives our listeners some suggestions. Maybe they can pick something up this weekend or or whatnot. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions, whether that's a cheap $10 games, your favorite games that you start parties with, everything we just talked about, if you have your own input, we would love to hear it. You can go to, you can send us an email at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com and let us know what your favorite $10 cheap game is that you like to start parties with or that you just like to keep in your bag when there is some downtime. And uh, we can talk about that next week. Speaking of feedback... Howdy. It's time for Interaction Satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. 
Uh, we got one email in here today. So, uh, again, you guys can always send us emails. Uh, we would love to read them on the show. Waste more time than we normally do here. Um, but this email is from Levi. Uh, Levi wrote in, actually, I think an episode or two ago. And his question is, what do you feel are the best expansions that took a good game and made it great? Uh, his example is, Bang is a good game, but the High Noon and Fist of Cards expansion added that next level to the game and really made it a great game. Levi. Um, and this is one of those questions Alan is perfect at answering. Alan, you got it? No, can I ask? <laughs> Are you channeling <laughs> Cartman? <laughs> uh, back to Battlestar Galactica. I mean, the base game is great, but I think the expansions add so much more to the game and really take it to the next level and like really make you feel like you're a part of the show. I think that's a really good one. My suggestion would be Machikoro. I think oh. the the first game is great and it's super enjoyable, but uh, the expansion kind of changes how all the cards are actually laid out, and makes it a little more random, which is I think in my opinion fine because the game's already based on a dice roll. So uh, I think the Machikoro suffered from uh, you can do a one dice strategy and easily plow over. But the expansion lets it be more viable for a two-day strategy and can punish a one-day strategy person. And uh, I just, I, I'm a big, big fan of Machikaro, and the expansion did not disappoint for me. I think, I think Magic the Gathering's expansions turned it from a good game into a great game. Oh god! I always have the opposite problem. I'm always buying expansions before I've played through the first game. Like I have played one mission of Tragedy Looper like three times, and I love that game, but I don't want to ruin it for me. I want to find other people who have played all the Tragedy Looper games to run it for me. And then I went ahead and bought the expansion anyway, just because I was like, I just, I, I need to have it. You and I both. I'm just disappointed we didn't get, what's his face to sign it? Um, Bacafire. Bacafire. Bacaflame? Bacafire. Bacafire. He was there too. He was there. I know. I almost bought that other game, but you told me not to. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not that good. I mean, no offense, but <laughs> it just it didn't have that same oomph that Tragedy Looper did. You know, I will always love Tragedy Looper. We'll have to go more in depth about it in a future episode. I'd love to do like a mystery game episode. That would be a oh, great one for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of future episodes, we're actually going to cut it a little short tonight. Well, actually, we're over thirty minutes, which is what we aim <laughs> for. Uh we're going to try to preview what we're going to do for next episode, uh, just for our sakes of having thoughts of what we're about to talk about, but for you guys to get excited and even um, send in any emails to just kind of round out the show to make sure that if we pick a topic, we can go through it fully and you guys feel satisfied and we feel satisfied. Uh, so next week, we plan on talking about uh, Kickstarter-specific games, whether that's uh, games we backed on Kickstarter that arrived that were super um, awesome or Kickstarters that were two years late mm -hmm. or uh, Kickstarters that we got we just didn't like so booms and busts for Kickstarter <laughs> yeah so if you if you guys have your own experiences for that feel free to email us in as well um, yeah I think uh, that kind of wraps up our show for you guys today uh, didn't get to fit in as much as we wanted to but that's alright there's always next time Justin where can our listeners find you uh, on Twitter at Y-O-U-G-U-R-T-8-7. It's Yugurt87. 
Awesome. And Sean? I'm at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. Awesome. And I am at Dragging a Lake on Twitter. And uh, on the next episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast, we all also pick we will also pick our winner for a free copy of Two Rooms in a Boom. And you did that by leaving us a review on iTunes. So we'll pick a winner then, and that'll be really cool. I think until next time, we are finished. <laughs> Good show, Alan.